to Beatles vs. Stones. This is a little bonus episode. Uh, Ryan, what's up? How's it going? Hey, it's going great. Happy to be here, be sober again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a little rowdy on the last one. Uh, then Andy Cush is going to be our guest today. How's it going, Andy? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Cool. So what we're going to get to in a little bit is Tattoo You. We're going to talk specifically about Tattoo You, but before that, the reason Andy is on here is he hosts a podcast called Late Era. He's also a contributing editor at Pitchfork and plays bass in the band Garcia Peoples. So Late Era is a podcast that examines overlooked records from some of the most notable artists in the last 60 years. Everything from Sinatra to Jimmy Buffett to the big old uh, Santana Supernatural record. Which came out a couple of weeks ago to kick off their season two. Personally, Andy, the one I'm most excited to check out is... Aerosmith's Honkin' on Bobo, which just Ooh. sounds like an incredible, everything about that sounds late era to me. Yes. Are you familiar with that album at all? Have you heard it? I haven't. And so I think what I saw, I think the reason I heard about this podcast you do was through like, maybe like a Stephen Hyden tweet, like, uh, mm-hmm. like if this album wasn't called Honkin' on Bobo, it would not be as easy to laugh at. It's just, what is Bobo a harmonica? The name of a harmonica? That's a, that is what they say. Yeah. But you know, there's also like the, uh, so I'm not a fan of that album. And the whole thing is this kind of like, you know, we're just, we've always been, you know, blues men and this is us finally getting back to our roots of doing the blues. And, and what they said is that that's like, you know, that was old blues musician slang for playing harmonica, but it seems to me there's a pretty obvious, uh, some sort of double entendre or something happening there. Nice. Is that yeah. pre pre Armageddon song or post Armageddon song? Uh, that is post Armageddon song. Yeah, Wild. yeah, that and it was sort of a reaction to uh, you know all the kind of pomp and circumstance of of that previous power ballad era of uh, Aerosmith. You know, so nice. trying to get back to their to their roots. Well, the the gravitational pull of Aerosmith just take turning this into a honking on Bobo uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, this actually, though, this brings me to a question that I wanted to ask specifically how it relates to Tattoo You, which is like, how do you define late era for bands yeah. that have like so many eras? Yeah, totally. We, I mean, when we first conceptualized the podcast, we kind of thought about it in a pretty open ended way. But we've since sort of focused more on stuff that's kind of like the 90s and beyond. Like, I'm not sure that we would do Tattoo You uh, as an episode of our podcast, but like we might do Bridges to Babylon or something like that, you know, especially because, well, it's a funny question because, you know, Tattoo You was like, in some ways, the Rolling Stones at like the peak of their popularity. They were still huge in the early 80s. And we like to do things that are sort of artists- who have kind of like washed up on the opposite side of that. But then sometimes, you know, like we did the Santana episode, which was also sort of the peak of his popularity. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like one of those things, uh, it's hard to define, but you know it when you hear it kind of thing. Is this is yeah. this true? And like weird weirdness is something that we definitely like, you know, like Tattoo You is in some ways, like it feels like a normal Rolling Stones record, you know, whereas like Bridges to Babylon has like weird, hip hop production on it and stuff, you know, like the more grotesque, the better uh, yeah. for, for stuff that we talk about on our show. Yeah. And I think the nineties were like kind of a, especially the late nineties, just a heyday for like trying to infuse pop 
a production and um all of a sudden there's like a little like rap verse in something or it's just it's really ill-fitting yes definitely you know there's like yeah it makes me think of uh the this is getting into the 2000s but the Bruce Springsteen's Wrecking Ball has like a very conspicuous rap verse on it. <laughs> it's like, why, why does this exist? Yeah, we did Paul Simon's Surprise, which is like just normal Paul Simon songs, but with like Nigel Godrich, Radiohead, electronic like production. Uh, so yeah, that sort of clash of elements is is something that we enjoy as well, for sure. Amazing. Well, for the purposes of this podcast, it is very much late era because we deliberately did 64 to 74. Totally. Um, I mean, that that even gets into the end of the Beatles, but we're going ahead a whole decade after what we kind of considered the the Rolling Stones. Like, it's not necessarily their peak because they're this arena band for decades after that and everything. And like Tattoo You and Some Girls, these are big albums, but cri- definitely critical peak, definitely like yes. artistic, like yeah you you hit the nail on the head justin which is it's funny how up our own ass we are like we're sitting over here arguing about like their early blues music and like the guy who works as an accountant for 40 hours a week and he's like paying 400 dollars for stones tickets he's going to see start me up like he doesn't give a rip about the b-side of let it bleed you know he wants waiting on a friend or any of these songs yeah but so i love that i love that as we said like no way are we going year by year all the way into like 1994 and stuff like that with with like the rolling stones every album and you guys aren't doing that either but you're looking deliberately at late era stuff um yeah i think ryan ryan has a more intimate relationship with tattoo you so i think you'll have some more specific questions but like what is it about tattoo you that kind of and i don't even know if you like it more than most rolling stones albums after that period but it's the one that kind of jumped out to you. Why? Yeah. Okay. So I love it. It's one of my favorite. It's like a on pretty close to being like a desert island album for me. And for any listener who hasn't ever heard it, what I would say is that you should just start with checking out the second side of the album, starting with the song Worried About You. all the way through to waiting on a friend at the end. That side in particular is, uh, there's a just a vibe to it that's so consistent, which is not something I really associate with the Rolling Stones, like doing a kind of sidelong dedicated to like a particular sound. But in this case, it's all quiet. come down end of the night romantic sort of sleazy slow burn type of songs that for me like uh they satisfy some particular listening urge better than like just about any other music I've ever encountered for that kind of like it's 3 a.m uh but I'm tired as fuck but I still want to party and maybe like do some more drugs or drink a little more even though I know I shouldn't and to me that this the side two of Tattoo You is the ultimate soundtrack to that feeling. Way cool. 
I thought you were going to, it's 3 a.m., I must be lonely, to quote the great, <laughs> to quote the great yes. uh, Santana collaborator, Rob Thomas. It's 3 a.m., I must be lonely. The story of this album is sort of, a lot of these songs were born out of old outtakes, right? Yes. So it's kind of a weird album in that way, and that is it's definitely, to me, late period. Like, to me, Some Girls is late period, <laughs> Rolling Stones. Yeah. But the songs are all come from much earlier periods or at least whatever germ um, or idea or riff or whatever from those songs. Have you encountered any other late album, like late period albums like this? That's like, Oh, this became a success because we're using all of our old material. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, (laughs) this is like totally random one that just popped into my head and maybe should be fact-checked later. And, uh, but I'm, I'm fairly certain I remember like when Weezer's Red Album came out, that that was like a similar thing of like, at least some of those songs. Like I remember the single, like I'm not even a, some huge Weezer fan, but I liked him as a kid. And I remember the single of that record came out and I was like, oh, this is kind of good. And then like reading some interview with Rivers Cuomo and being him being like, well, I wrote this song in 1995 or whatever. And like, we're just <laughs> finally putting it on a record. I don't, and it's like, okay, well, I guess that's why it's good. But yeah, I don't, I can't think of anything else, but you're right. It's a particular type of album. This kind of like our, we're raiding our own um, archives. Uh, I think as far, as far back as like Goat's Head Soup or something like that. Yeah. Uh, they um, went pretty far back. <laughs> I think so. In your experience with like late period albums, what is it about those albums that like make them pop out? Because, you know, Tattoo You, uh, it wasn't like the Stones hadn't put out an album in four years. They, they yeah. had multiple albums around that period that I guess people liked okay at the time, but haven't really been remembered. So what do you think it is about these types of albums in general that make them stand out from artists' other work and Tattoo You specifically? Um, in general, like one of the things that I like about them, especially when we're talking about artists like the Rolling Stones, who have like a lot of kind of clout by the end of their you know career, like they're they they're given a really long leash to indulge in like uh, stuff that isn't necessarily like marketable uh, or even necessarily like well advised. Uh, because they're the Rolling Stones, you know, and this isn't about tattoo you in general is so much in specific as it is just, yeah, like you said, the earlier question of uh, late era records in general, but you get to see like certain kind of like strange and maybe even like ugly sides of an artist that earlier in their career, either their own kind of internal voice or like maybe their record label or something would be telling them like, let's sort of save some of this and and focus on what people actually want to hear. And that's just like fascinating to me. I feel like you get to kind of see what an artist is like truly like in a way when they've gotten that old. Uh, As far as Tattoo You, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to like Start Me Up being such a kind of undeniable hit, like whether, what whatever, you think about that song as far as, you know, it's place in the canon of big Rolling Stones songs. It's pretty undeniable that it's just like, as soon as you hear it, you're not gonna forget it. It's gonna get like a whole stadium crowd on their feet, you know?
That song works particularly well for what they were doing as a live band at the time, which is playing stadiums, you know, like that's sort of like, even though it came, I think it dates from like some girls, which I guess, you know, is still probably they were playing stadiums then as well. But it's like the first Stone song that to me sounds like it could have been written to be played to like hundreds of thousands of people, you know? Right. And so since that's what they were doing, it feels like it, it resonated especially well. I think I remember hearing like a Song Exploder episode where they're talking about, I can't remember who the band was, but they were referencing like ACDC was the model. It was like, we wanted to write a song where we knew everyone was going to be yelling and it needed like this certain kind of punchy riff with enough space for the next one and nothing like it. That is how Start Me Up feels. Like Start Me Up is in every Rolling Stones live set, right? Like you're always going to hear Start Me Up. Yeah, totally. It, it sort of reminds me, I'm maybe taking this like too far afield, but uh, <laughs> I, I had a conversation with a friend once about Paradise City, the um, Guns N' Roses song, which has like this, you know, I'm not a huge Guns N' Roses fan, uh, but like the the main riff uh, of, of Paradise City is, is amazing to me, but I wish I could hear it played the way like a rock drummer would would play along to that if they were intending to just like play it to a bar of like, you know, 50 people or whatever with like feel and groove and stuff. But instead you just get boom, bah, boom, bah, boom. Just like the sparsest kind of hugest stadium beat, you know, and it sort of like takes away from that song to me. But Start Me Up kind of does the same thing. You know, the guitar is like R&B, but the drums are just like stadium. song is so like all of the tracks on it are in I think a good way they're like completely separate like some songs like even like the Guns N' Roses song you could almost like things are kind of on top of each other or like there's competing for sound and it, it's almost like every track on Start Me Up is like in its own lane with like some shoulder room there so when the bass comes in it's like doing all the heavy lifting yeah, and the, ba the, ba the bass playing on that song is sick too. Like, it, yeah, like, and you don't really hear it that first. At least I, it took me a while to actually hear it. Obviously, like a ton of bands do this, but it was amazing how recurring it was with the Rolling Stones. Like they kind of cast a little spell on you at the start of the album with like, give me, whether it's give me shelter or uh, brown sugar, or I feel like they, they hit you with these like sort of undeniable, like infectious pieces right at the beginning. And then kind of sure. like you said, the second half of, of this record is kind of like a downswing. It's a low, it's a different thing that than what start me up in that cover would have you think it is, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And I, I, when I was first getting into the Rolling Stones as a teenager, I falsely believed that I, that their singles were like way better than their album cuts. And that like, I would get like, you know, a record, like let it bleed and be like, well, you know, sympathy for the devil is awesome. Uh, or rather give me shelter is awesome. Sympathy for the devil from beggars banquet, or, you know, like this first song is like, it's so immediate. And then, it take at least for me. It took me a while to sort of appreciate the 
the other stuff on the albums, which now I like a lot better, generally speaking, than the big singles. Because it's like, I don't know, it's a lot more based in like feel or something rather than like being anthemic. Yeah, totally. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on here. Tell us a little bit about how the idea for Late Era came up. Like what was the sort of seed? I'm sure you've said this in in your own podcast, but for people who would want to check it out. So, okay. The honest answer uh, is that we also have a podcast about the band Chicago, uh, which none of us are like into, but we are, we all share a mutual fascination with um, music uh, that is extremely um, popular, but sort of exists in a total void of critical discourse. And so that led to us doing this whole podcast about Chicago, where we we pick a different, or every episode, we, we're trying to move through the entire like 40 album discography of Chicago. <laughs> uh, and it's nightmarish, as you might imagine. <laughs> and I had the idea for late era as a way to talk to get into some of the same ideas we were trying to explore with the Chicago podcast, but to give ourselves a chance to listen to different artists and also uh, music that we might actually enjoy. Is there really 40 Chicago records? Uh, I think it's like 38. Uh, you have to, yeah. you have to hear from some, from some pissed off Chicago fans from these things. Oh, we definitely do. Yeah. It's part of the fun or what? Uh, yeah. You know, we actually had, we had one guy who started off as like a pissed off Chicago fan who ended up like coming on our podcast uh, to, t- to talk about and sort of defend the band. And yeah, I guess it's part of the fun. We heard from pissed off Aerosmith fans about after, about honking on Bobo after that episode. And yeah, I'd say it's part of the fun. We don't actively set out to, I'll say we don't actively set out to piss off fans or, and everything we listen to, we try to do from a place of being open-minded and giving it a fair shake. Like the point of the podcast is not to just like shit on albums that we think are bad. Uh, It's to like, just examine music that might not be examined otherwise and and give an honest assessment of it. Yeah. Where you might not be like the like biggest Chicago head, like, you are, you guys are music critics, you know, like you can take it and I'm sure you're going to find some things you like too in the process, but yeah, totally. we, we encountered similar stuff. I mean, the format at the start of the show was, was we drafted who we we're going to represent each year. And so like, it really started off like arguing for one side or the other, which, which involves like disingenuous arguments against right, right, the right. other band, stuff you know, you actually which like. is probably yeah. so fucking annoying to people, but funny and it's just fun. And then uh, honestly, over time, like by the last episode, we forgot what side we were representing. Just yeah. nice. Kind of, well, we did consistently piss off the George Harrison people. So that's good. That's true. <laughs> that's, true. that's true. That's a through line. Uh, well, where can people find you personally and the podcast in uh, you can find me on Twitter, I suppose. My handle is Kush, my last name, C-U-S-H, and then A-C, so C-U-S-H-A-C is my Twitter handle. And then the podcast is on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on pretty much any uh, venue where you might find your podcast. It's called Late Era, uh, brought to you by Osiris Media. Beautiful. Thank you guys for listening to this bonus episode. Thank you, Andy, for coming on it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Ryan, what do you got planned for today? I'm going to go back in time 
uh, to what I was doing, which is listening to the very earliest Stone singles because I started reading this book uh, and it put me in the mood to revisit all that R&B stuff. So this was very jostling for my brain to be like, what? Talking about Tattoo You again? <laughs> I'm back in like Bo Diddley covers. That's good for your brain. Yeah, probably. All right, guys. I'll catch you guys later. Yeah,